Let's go right to the Word of God this morning. One short verse from the book of Proverbs. Chapter 14 and verse 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I want to speak to you today in all candor and honesty about our country, which I have given this message the title, One Nation Without God. I was two years old, January the 30th, 1956, when the 84th Congress of the United States of America voted to adopt as our national motto, In God We Trust. No one opposed it. There was no debate whatsoever, and it was signed by President Eisenhower. I was two years old. Hard to believe that only six years later, we effectively kicked God out of public life. And let me just tell you that I'm really, really sick and tired of listening to people who are so unbelievably ignorant of American history. They didn't even take time. They can't get past what they studied at the university level from some professor. They never take time to look at original documents. I'm tired of hearing people say in a mindless manner, and a very ignorant manner as well. Well, even Jefferson talked about the separation of church and state. Yeah, he did. In one letter to the Baptists in Danbury, Connecticut, assuring them the church would not be imposed upon by the government. And that's what he meant. But you can nearly ask any American, and I've asked Christians, I've had Christians say it to me. Now, I'm not a very political person from the pulpit or otherwise. I will be talking a little bit about it today. And they'll say, well, you know, Pastor, there's a separation of church and state. Yeah, we are part of the state, but the state is not part of us. That's what Jefferson meant. He was assuring those Baptist brethren in Danbury, Connecticut, so long, long ago that the government would not interfere with the church because they were concerned. Remember their own history from Europe and from England in particular. That's why they came here. Puritans in particular to escape religious persecution from a state church. So when the founders came here, they didn't want a state church. Now, is it no surprise that in recent years there have been lawsuits against this very declaration of Congress to have it removed from our money? Because let's face it, they have effectively removed just about everything else. Even our statues in the cancel culture being pulled down by people who we know know what they're doing. I mean, not all followers know what the leaders got them up to. But I think about the fact that our national motto is in God we trust. And for those groups and maybe a few individuals who contested it in court and they've always lost so far, their argument in courts of law is that, well, if you say in God, it means there's only one and we can't, you know, and that offends people or whatever who believe there's many gods. No surprise, perhaps, to anybody that one of the main groups leading the charge of removing from our site the national motto, In God We Trust, is the Temple of Satan. Big surprise there. But I think what we have not recognized is the influence of Satan in our nation. And so we talk politics. It's Republicans, let's vote for them. Get the Democrats out. Democrats say, no, we need the Republicans out. But if you read the Word of God, God basically says this, you have a problem with me. Now, I vote conservative, and I will continue to vote conservative. But I know, unless God steps into this situation and turns things around, we'll be expecting things from flesh and blood, which flesh and blood cannot provide. 
Just always keep in mind that you can't give what you don't have. Politicians promise us the sun, the moon, and the stars, and we don't even wind up with a small telescope to look at them. I would say to you that today, in practical terms, and it doesn't mean everyone, of course, we are now one nation without God. We use his name, and the talk of God is ubiquitous, it's everywhere, but to follow what he said and to do what he said, not so much, and I have to be very candid with you. I'm truly getting sick of it. I truly am. I read a small quote on social media, just a small quote from a real person. And he said, I'm 79 years old. He was talking about the present circumstances that we got going on in our country. He said, I'm 79 years old. He says, I'm tired of all this. He said, I'm just tired. I want to die. And I felt compassion on that man. I really did. And I can, to some degree, understand where he's coming from. But that's not me. I don't want to die yet. I've told people, the only reason I stay in ministry at this stage, well, I could easily retire and give all the good reasons why I could and why I should. But I tell younger people, I say, there's two reasons I stay in the ministry. One is for a group your age, the 30s and the 20s, and for my grandchildren and their age. Because where are they going to go? We've got churches all around us that have promised to get you in and out almost faster than my car wash. And in my mind, it's appalling, really is truly appalling that we could live in such an age with so much going on, right in our own country, let alone around the world, and have a rather flippant attitude towards the great God. And it's one thing to speak to people who have really no knowledge of the Bible, but it's another thing to speak to people who profess to have a knowledge of the Bible and actually have a knowledge of the Bible and see the same behavior. Now, I'm actually getting sick, not physically, and not mentally either, just the metaphoric use of it, sick of it. And believe me, I'm not politically inclined. I'm really not. I just told you I vote conservative. I want everybody to know that. I always have, I always will. But you know, until the election that went past just a few years ago, I mean 2016, nobody ever asked me who I voted for. And I never asked anybody who they voted for. It was just one of those things you didn't do. But see, things are changing. And there's an aggression against God himself coming from Satan himself using people to do it. Amen. Homes are breaking up. Drug addiction, alcoholism, and on and on and on. Things that you know. The corruption that's in our country, and I'm going to stick with America, I think, today, is truly appalling. I, for me, I don't know really who to believe. I truly don't. They say fact check. Well, I've been doing that all my life. I always read a couple of reports on things to see if there's uh, some central truth in things. But I'm leery, not only of our leaders, but of our media and all these people. I saw a thing, and this is really hardly relevant, but I never look at these, uh, hey, you got to see this, or this will make you cry, or these clickbait things. But I just happened to take a look at something that was on Facebook. I don't even know what made me push the thing to be interested in it. But the title of the video was 10 Americans whose persona on the screen was not how they actually lived. And the first one that they picked on was John Wayne, and this came out, you know, John Wayne on the screen was, you know, this and that, All-American, but he was actually a draft dodger, and all went down this. Now, it just so happens, more than the other actors that they named, and they named Humphrey Bogart and Clint Eastwood and a bunch of them, it just so happens that I've read a few biographies on John Wayne. So without giving a defense for John Wayne here today, I'm just simply saying that I wrote a comment, I very rarely write comments on these acts of stupidity, because this is coming from woke people who want people who haven't read biographies, in fact, go look at the biographies of the older actors of the 50s and 60s and see how many of them served in the military. Ernest Borgnine served twice. 
But the truth of it is, is that he tried to join the military, but he had a bad knee from playing football in UCLA and on and on. And so I just said, you know, just, I don't know what I said, but I'm not going to repeat it. I'm sick of it. And I know that many Americans are sick of it. What we saw this week in that raid on uh, President Trump's home in Florida was sickening. Now, why? Why is it sickening? Because I remember someone who was running for president who destroyed over 30,000 classified documents, had a private server in her home, and smashed Blackberry phones with a hammer, and nothing happened. Where was the FBI? Where was the Department of Justice? You see, the justice we have now is selective. It depends on who you are, the color of your skin. I've had someone say to me in an offhand way about, I'm part of the systemic racism. A white supremacist? I've never been prejudiced. I don't plan on starting in the future. Never. Not one day, not ever. I've always accepted people as I see, but you see this whole mindset. It's like 1984, the book, instead of it being a novel, became a blueprint. And I shared with you briefly, I think last week, but I'm going to say it to you, hopefully in a little clearer way today. Don't be woke, but it's time to awaken to righteousness. Amen. And give yourself over to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you something. Jesus Christ was no 1960s hippie. He was a man's man. And he didn't take much stuff from people, to put it that way. His no meant no. He didn't coddle people. Then he makes bread for them. And they follow him again across the lake. And he says to them, hey, you know what? You're not seeking me for the right reason. You're seeking me because I made bread for you. But I'm not going to make any more bread. Now go, he says, this is Jesus. He says, go and seek for the bread that comes from heaven. Goodbye. I'm going to challenge you to actually study the life of Jesus. Read Matthew, read Mark, Luke, and John. And see the real Jesus. That he wasn't what we think sometimes that he is. Just kind of an easygoing pushover. Compassionate he was. Powerful he was. His speech was so powerful that people would say, we never heard anybody speak like this. But we have, in America here, we have converted Jesus instead of allowing him to convert us. Every side, each side is making Jesus to be a part of their party, a part of their schism, a part of their faction. And Jesus, in reality, is saying, I have no part in any of that. Amen. There's only one church, regardless of the label on the door, which is another subject. How many churches do you go to now? And that includes our own. Uh, that says St. Mark or St. John. There's something in you know, the Holy Trinity. Now it's the deep river and the cleansing fountain. You don't know what you're getting into if you're an intelligent person. I mean, I have to admit that ours is the same, but I was on the hop when I did it because I was fleeing from some people that were chasing me. So uh, I just said, well, let's just call it the Time for Truth because that was the name of the radio broadcast. And I figured people would recognize it best that way. But maybe we'll change it to St. Raymond's. <laughs> No egos involved, just... <laughs> what happened? Jesus gives a parable and he says, While men slept, an enemy came in and sowed. For those of you who know your history and perhaps are old enough to remember, there was Joe McCarthy, Senator Joe McCarthy, and he was saying, hey, there's communist infiltration in our country. And eventually, he was censured by the Congress. At parts, you know, his, his reach was overreached. But <laughs> you know what? I've told a few people in private, and now I'm saying it in public. He was right. He was right back in the 1950s. 57 to 67, I think it was that period of time he was there. McCarthyism, Salem witch hunts. Well, guess what? Go look up the descriptions that these politicians now give them themselves. Socialist Democrat, Bernie Sanders, right over here in Vermont. They don't even hide it. 
We're socialists. I heard Jim Carrey, the actor, talk about that on some show in his inimical, histrionic way. He said, well, let's just call it what it is. It's socialism. But then you go back to Canada, because we Americans here don't want it. Communism not only has not worked and socialism does not work. Forgive me, any moron can figure that out. But it sees people saying, wow, free stuff. Yes, it is for the guys on the top. For the guys getting in the limos. The rest are in long, long bread lines. And the people below who had some part of the revolution or the voting process were too dumb to realize they were being manipulated by people on the top. Read about Castro. All the islands he owned and all these things. Read about these leaders of these countries promising people, we've got the best. You've got nothing. And the people know it. Some people know it. But here in America, they don't know. They don't know. They don't even know who they voted for. We are, I would submit to you, now one nation without God. And what gives you the background there, Pastor? What's your reference? Well, my reference is from the book of Isaiah. Here's this massive, beautiful temple built by Solomon and Israel. And the Jews are going and they're worshiping. And then Isaiah the prophet comes along and he says, Thus saith the Lord, put away your music. I don't want to hear it. Put away your prayers because I'm not listening. Huh, not listening, he says. Doesn't want to hear our playing, he says. Well, what happened to Isaiah? Well, they sawed him in half according to historical tradition, which is basically the reward that most prophets, true prophets get. They don't get more leered jets. That's a delusion. The Learjet's not a delusion, they're actually flying in it. The people who bought it are deluded. Because in every age when there was a crisis in a nation that God was reaching out to, they didn't treat the true prophets too well. The most they killed. And that includes the apostles. Well, my reference is, here's God who says to build the temple, gives the instructions how to build the temple, tells them what they should be doing in the temple, and now Israel has so departed from the instructions, from the commandments, and keep in mind, commandments are not suggestions. We're not watching Dr. Phil here. This is the Bible. They had violated God so badly that God says, don't. Well, further in Jeremiah, some years down the road, he says, don't say the temple, the temple, the temple are these. Stop that. Just stop it. But in Isaiah, he says, don't sing to me and don't pray to me because I'm not listening. Then he says this, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. For though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as wool. God always gives us a way out because God is benevolent and God is good. If you will observe the world, I mean the natural world, you'll see that the only thing that's screwed up is man. Nature flows from the nature of God. It's in order. Birds do, I mean like seagulls do what seagulls are supposed to do. Crows do what crows are supposed to do and so on and so forth. I have not yet seen a seagull, which we have up here by the way if you haven't noticed. I've not yet seen a seagull acting like a crow. Or dressing like one. <laughs> and on that subject, here's the question that you should ponder. Not why are we having drag queens teach our children in the school system and in the church, as I mentioned to you last week. The question is not why are they there. The question is why do they want to be there? Why do these people want to teach your children about their lifestyle? That's the question. See, we're asking sometimes the wrong questions. Why do they want to be there, and why do they want to teach your children about their lifestyle? Let me make this clear here. There's no hiding the fact that this is a church, and we want to teach your children the ways of the Lord. Amen. That's why we're here. 
That's why we're here. If you don't want your children to learn the ways of the Lord, then don't bring them and let the drag queen teach them or others. And there are plenty of others. They will teach them how many, I mean, don't raise your hand, don't say anything. But how many of you watched your child grow up in the church? It wasn't so much a few years ago at the grade school level or even the high school level, but then when they were off to the university and they came back, they were a totally different person. You see, because Dr. So-and-so is a whole lot smarter than you are. And that PhD they have and the endearing, charming personality that they have and the large vocabulary, the sesquipedalians. It mesmerizes the young people and they say, my father, my mother, they don't know anything. And they come back and they're changed and you're grieved. And I'm grieved of how Satan has been able to seduce our young people. Not just the young people, but the older people too. People who you don't expect to have changes in. All of a sudden, they're changed. Let me tell you something. You cannot amend this book. Well, I could say it this way. You could amend this book, but God is not endorsing it. And God says, on more than one occasion, in Proverbs, in Deuteronomy, and then in the book of the Revelation, he says this. If any man, I'm just going to paraphrase it. If any man change the prophecies of this book, I'll add unto him the curses written in it. Well, God doesn't speak like that, not to an American. God doesn't say things, and God doesn't get angry. No, he doesn't get angry because we will not permit him to be angry. And the reason we won't permit him to be angry is because we're going to find a preacher that will tell us that. God doesn't punish sin. Ah, it's just a big joke. And besides, grace covers it. And how do we know that? Because we're going to find us a preacher that will tell us that. Because that's what we want to hear. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love it so. But what will you do in the end thereof? We are in a conundrum and everybody knows it. How did we get here? That's a matter of studying history again, which you've done on Wednesday nights. And maybe we'll have to review it again. How we got here, that's a longer story. But we're here now. We're here. You know, it's one thing to have corruption in the government, but it's another thing to have corruption in the church. I want to read to you just a brief heading and just a little bit of an article that was in Christianity Today in November of 2021. The headlines in Christianity Today read like this, Corruption runs rampant in the church. Who should we hold responsible? The subheading is this, The American evangelical church needs to experience a new conversion around the kinds of leaders we esteem. But I'm going to amend that to say one thing. And then when you have good preachers, we ought to know the people who we're teaching and ask them, if you're interested in this, stay. And if not, it may be time to go find another church that will accommodate you because God does not accommodate you. These are the commands of God. He does not change the Ten Commandments because you don't like eight of them or you won't obey two of them. In any case, Christianity today went on to say, when ministry leaders with amazing talent and best practice skills in communication are placed on pedestals, podiums, and in pulpits before their spiritual and emotional depth has had time to mature. And by the way, that's an assumption. It's always a recipe for disaster. In a day and age when pastors are confused for, or confuse themselves for, celebrities, the American evangelical church needs to experience a new conversion, our own come to Jesus moment around the kinds of leaders we esteem. I've been saying that for decades. They just said it in a more articulate way. Imagine a church needing a come to Jesus moment. And by the way, whenever I hear that expression, I take offense at it when I hear people say, well, you had to come to Jesus moment. And so often I want to comment on social media. I just simply don't. Maybe it's time I start. Maybe it's time I start to say, you know what? You need to come to Jesus moment. 
Stop using a phrase that belongs to the Bible and that belongs to the eternal God. Anyway, it's a phrase that we use. Well, what happens when your church needs to come to Jesus? What happens when your pastor, who went to the Bible school or wherever he went, himself needs to come to Jesus movement? As you know, when I pull on this string every so often, I've been in this business for a long, long time. And I've come to the conclusion, and not that I'm aloof, I'm not, and all my life since I was little, I've had a ton of friends. Now, as time is going on, I'm finding my circle of friends getting smaller and smaller. Because I live by a maxim, it's better to be alone than in bad company. That doesn't mean I'm not friendly. It doesn't mean I don't love and want fellowship. I do. I'm just not going to sit in some meeting somewhere and have somebody strutting like it's a TEDx seminar telling me stuff that's not in the Bible. I'm done with all that. Give me Jesus. Give me the Word of God. And so it's kind of hard to believe that in my lifetime, though I was only little, the 84th Congress voted to make the national motto, In God We Trust. Only to have, as I just mentioned, six years later, the Supreme Court throw God out of public school, out of public buildings. But the truth of it is, again, we've studied this on Wednesdays. Spent some time, but we studied it. The truth is, we threw him out of church first. That's a historical fact. He just... Well, we can't go through it now. It takes weeks to go through the whole dynamics of what happened in Germany and England and then came over here and all of that. How could this happen? The Congress votes in 1956 and by 1962 and then 63 again, we throw God out of the country. So it's, what do you call it? Cognitive dissonance? In God we trust? But there's groups who sue and win, get the Ten Commandments off the wall and wonder why we have kids murdering kids. You don't have to have an especially fecund intellect to understand that when it says don't kill, that maybe somebody will take that suggestion and then take him off the wall and what do you replace it with? Guard dogs, armed police officers in our schools, getting swept like you do when you have to go into a prison. That's what we traded it for. And here's my fear, because I know a bit about history and I know biblical history. My fear is that we may repeat the same mistakes of ancient Israel. You see, human nature always says it's the other guy. It's not our church, it's their church. But I've never dealt that way. I don't deal that way, as you know, when I read the Bible. I always say, how does this apply to me? For those of you who were raised in the Catholic tradition as I was, I was raised in the Latin Mass, which I still like Latin. I really do. And we were taught during the Mass when it was in Latin and you had to respond in Latin. Mia culpa, mia culpa, mia maxima culpa. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. We're blaming the Catholic priests. I mean, they have their own blame to come up now in recent years and others, but it was centered on you, your own life, your own responsibility. I submit once again to you that we are a nation without God, though his name is used in many places, including the churches. We're not hearing much of his word and we desperately need to, because if we don't, we will repeat history. And don't you think by amending God's word in your own mind, in other words, twisting his laws, that that law is not going to apply. The consequence. Do you understand that there's rewards for serving the Lord? I mean, there's plenty of verses on that. Plenty, plenty of verses on that, on serving the Lord and the rewards that go with serving the Lord. But before we go there, we have to understand that there's rules called commandments or principles. And we have to live by them. We read in 2 Timothy 3, these words... This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, 
covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a, and here's where we see it's in the church, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janice and Jamboree withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. See, once again, we're anchored in the church here. Reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. John Wesley told his men, not necessarily just his followers, but those that would become pastors in the Methodist church, he said, be a man of one book. Now, I don't follow that advice to the letter because I read a lot of books, but I've always been pretty much a, basically a man of one book. I'm glad I spent my early years in the many, many long hours of just reading the plain text because now at this stage of life, at this twilight moment, the scriptures just come back to my mind when I need them and I can't open a Bible and the scriptures just come in. It's a shame. It's a shame that people can be raised in the church that preaches the Bible and never have read it from cover to cover, not once. And I've come over across that many times. Well, you know, I never really read the Bible cover to cover. What kind of pastor did you have that never told you that these scriptures are inspired and this should be the main book of your life? The scriptures are inspired. There's 31,102 verses in the King James Version. And it says they've been given by God, not man, but by God. And if you believe that, then you become a student of the Bible. You not only read and just say, well, I did my devotions. What's devotions without being devoted? What are devotions without being devoted? It's, it's kind of religion. So many Protestant branches that are highly critical of the more mainstream branches, like the Episcopal Church, the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox branches, of, of, they're critical. And I told you this one, this is one of my favorites, to just sit back and say, really? Baptist born and Baptist bred, I'll be Baptist living and Baptist dead. Well, tell me who coined that marvelous, ingenious phrase. Do you see anything in here beyond John, who was called the Baptist, about being a Baptist? Well, you say, well, no, I'm Pentecostal. Really? Twice in the Bible, the word Christian is used, and only twice. But let's talk about disciples and followers. And the implication is that if you're a student of anything anywhere, that you're actually learning something from the teacher. 
Go out, he said, and make them disciples. Go out and teach all nations and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's a Christian. That's a Christian. And I contend today that America needs Christians, and I don't like the word Christianity anymore. I'm almost done with it. Because that means different things to different people. So I say Christ. We need Christ. We don't need Christ just in some amulet or some symbol. We need Christ, the living Christ. Remember, he's raised from the dead. He's alive. And like the song says, he walked with me and talked with me. It's a nice song in the garden. But now it's got to become a reality. And people got to notice it in you, that you're different. You know, I understand when I'm around certain people, they say, oh, that's that pastor. They don't say it out loud. <laughs> that's that, oh, that's that pastor. But if they were to articulate it out loud, this is going to be my response. Well, I can't really say it the way I'd like to say it, but that's right. I am that pastor. I had a man come up to me in the gym years ago. He didn't know I was a pastor. He's just a regular guy in the gym. And someone told me, he said, you know, it's a pastor. He said, that guy's a pastor. So he comes strutting over. I don't mean strutting. He comes strutting over, and I was on the machine sitting down here. He's standing over me. He says, hey, I heard you're a preacher. I said, that's right. You're one of them, what do you call me, one of those fanatical preachers? <laughs> I said, well, it depends on how you define fanatic. If you define fanatic by being like a Jim Jones and a cult member, no, I'm not. But if you define fanatic by someone who believes the Bible, preaches the Bible, and with God's grace will live by the Bible, that's exactly what I am. Amen. That is exactly what I am. And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't care who doesn't like it. I don't care who doesn't agree. I don't care who talks behind my back. They've been talking behind my back all my life. And here's the bad news, as I've told you so many times. Stop trimming your sails. They're talking behind your back anyway. There's every so often, others feed somebody something just so they have something to talk about. <laughs> you know what he said to me? You know what I say? That you should be in church? And you should. Yeah, I'm sick. Not in mind, not in body, just sick of what has happened to our country. Sick of what I'm seeing. And yet, I just read to you from 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 17, that these would be the signs near the end or in the end that would happen inside the church before we even get to the world. Remember, this is written during the period of the Roman Empire. Before we even get to the world, these signs would be in the church, and they are with us today. They're with us right now. How did Madeline Murray O'Hare become so successful? How was she able to bring her case, Engel versus Vitali, and then the second one, that was in 62, and then in 63, how was she able to twist things so much from a couple hundred years of history, from the New England primer, where our founding fathers were raised on the book that said, A, all have sinned, and they learned the alphabet with scripture verses. I'll tell you how she did it. She found an audience. She found people to say, yeah. And some of them were sitting in churches. Oh, yeah. I saw on the social media something that was so repulsive but then again, I guess we have to get used to this. It was some type of LGBTQ event. And the church was definitely a mainline denominational church. I don't know which one. It was a beautiful looking building. Beautiful. Beautiful big stained glass and all that, which I particularly like architecture. And there was a guy dressed up there in drag, introducing another one dressed up in drag who was coming down the aisle. And everybody in the place. It looked sort of like what they used to have in California. You know, Ringling Brothers had the clown school. It looked a lot like clown school. 
And then I watched another, and the, you know, just, it's inside a church building, not the church, but a church building. And then I watched the representative from Brooklyn, you know, uh, AOC there, sitting with a bunch of, well, they dressed like clowns. They looked to me like clowns, and they, clowns always scared me. And she's saying, you are brave, you are patriots. Now, I can't imagine as a kid watching someone that looks like this saying, the British are coming. <laughs> with lipstick on and everything. But I think it would have been a surprise to say, what? Paul Revere wore fire engine red lipstick? Mascara? I don't use vulgarity and I won't watch movies that do. But I have to admit to you, the words are starting to come back to my brain. And don't you look at me like, because oh. I know some of you use the vulgarity. I just don't use it. But it's almost getting difficult not to. And I'm just being truthful with you. That's been my habit all my life. Just be truthful. I'm not trying to be the celebrity pastor, taller and above all of you, just a regular guy who happens to be saved and happens to be called to be the pastor. That's it. Yeah, they're coming to my mind. When I watch people, you see, I've always hated manipulation. I still hate it. If I believe someone's manipulating me, we cut that off right away. Happened right here, not two months ago. The elders know about it. I got solicited by a con artist. Now, you see, when you're in church, you don't know who you're dealing with. I mean, I know you people, but I mean, you have a guest and they're like, hey, man, you know, my dad's in there. And give me this long story about cancer and all this stuff. So he needed 100 bucks. Then he called, listen, listen, I still have it in my records. He called, texted, or emailed me 27 times in one day. 27 times. You will never know. Maybe someday I'll just, right before my funeral, I'll write it all out for you. This is what actually went on behind the scenes. But until then, I'll just keep most of this to myself. 27 times. 100 bucks. All right. Like I said, look, I'm not giving you cash. We'll give you a check. Oh, you know what? I just did the math. You know, I need 150. I fell for that. Don't worry. I'm in construction, and I'll be there Sunday, and I'm paying back with interest. He never came back. And I want to tell you what I'm really tempted to do by my Irish nature. I want it. I got his number. I want to say, bro, you better be at this church this coming Sunday with my money. And that was not my money. It was your money. Because I was stupid enough to be taken in. And I'm a New Yorker. But sometimes you just don't know what call to make because we're supposed to be compassionate. I'm tired of being conned. I still might write him and say, bro, give me the money or I'm coming to Schenectady to find you. <laughs> then you'll be bailing me out of jail. So what good would that do? So I can't do that either. So I'm stuck. I'm absolutely stuck. Con artists. And they're around. They've been around forever. Oh, what a tough life. Yeah, okay. I don't like to be manipulated. That was my point. And I don't like when people who are supposed to be respected, both in the ministry and in politics, you know they're conning you. You know they're manipulating the situation. And you don't, listen, don't you just feel so helpless? I mean, you could rant and rave, go on social media, but that don't help. That just draws flies like an outhouse. And you wind up with a whole bunch of junk. And that don't help, because many people can't even control their own emotions, and you feel stuck. For me, I make my appeal to God and say, oh God, and I'm going to be very bold here too. If not for the sake of my children, if they've already turned their hearts away from the Lord, there's not much I can do about that, but save my grandchildren. I'm tired of hearing people's excuses. Well, you know, I, I left the church because of the people. You left the church because of the people? Then maybe you were following the wrong person. Jesus said, follow me. You say, whoa, the church is filled with hypocrites. Really? But well, why don't you come and show us the difference? 
Robert E. Lee wrote that to his wife once about his son was complaining about, you know, Robert E. Lee wasn't the best father. He was fighting the Civil War. Or maybe his son forgot that. Dad never loved me. Dad was on the battlefield. And so his response to his wife when his son registered a complaint about him, he said, if I have done bad, let him do better. I told one of my kids that. When he first had a child, I said, you're going to be a better father than me? Well, I know, I'm not saying you should be like me. That's my personality. Because I don't like this manipulation stuff. I don't like the blame stuff. I could be a good pastor if it wasn't for you. <laughs> you give me so many headaches. All you have is problems. All you want is a prayer request. I'd be a great pastor if it wasn't for people. Yeah, well, if you're looking for a problem, look long in the mirror and you'll find it. When Nathan, that's right, when Nathan came before David, he gave him his long story, and David said, we'll kill him. He says, you're the man. You're the man. And I want to say something here that's just on my mind. Don't let your kids, as they get older, blame you for everything. Now, if you were on drugs and you were abusing them, and that's one thing, but most parents are just decent people, and then your kids blame you. I knew a guy, he's older now, I think he's changed his tune, blamed his parents that he couldn't be anything in life, which he actually had a very, very good position in New York until he decided to leave for Hollywood and become an actor, which he never did become an actor. Uh, he blamed his parents because they never bought him the Mustang he wanted when he graduated high school. Yeah, I know. It's sad. And we have this type of softness in America today. My grandfather on my mother's side went to work in carpet mills when he was 13, full time. 13. Didn't have his hand out somewhere saying, give me some money, because we've had it rough. But his younger brother, I never knew this until just a few years ago. My grandfather's name was Thomas, and so I thought. But in order to get a job under the child labor laws so he could actually go to work full time and help his family, went into the carpet mills at 13 using his brother's name, who was Thomas. So he had died as an infant, as a child. Because that's the way things used to be. People say, oh, well, you're just a big white supremacist. I'm big, but I'm not a white supremacist. I grew up in a row house made for carpet mill workers. I grew up in a neighborhood and I grew up in a family that was just blue collar, average individuals, Irish, average Irish individuals, not the shanty Irish. Sick of it. I'm sick of the stupidity of the American public falling for things. Men, my age, whining like little girls. I'm tired of it. The Bible says, be strong. And I want to paraphrase it for you. Be strong. Act like men. Well, now, even one of our Supreme Court justices can't describe exactly what a woman is. Because, after all, she's not a biologist. I mean, is this really what we're being handed? A Supreme Court justice says, oh, I don't really know what a woman is because I'm not a biologist. And everybody says, good answer. Good answer. Are you accepting that? I'm not accepting that. Now I got to say, do you actually know law? Well, yeah, I guess. But I don't know women. So don't ask me if it's a man or a woman because I don't know I'm not a biologist. Look, at these people, they aren't the stupid ones. It's the ones that believe them. Well, that makes sense. I mean, how can you really know a woman? <laughs> we will reach a level that's moronic. But listen to this, remember. God said, because they love not the truth, I will send them. Well, Satan, it's not Satan. Read this book carefully. 
I will send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And we're living in that age right now. When an antichrist, when the antichrist rises up and promises peace, the majority of the world will believe him. He's going to bring it all together. And people will just bow down and do what this book says. That's not our topic for today. But why? Because they loved not the truth. They love not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's the only thing that will set you free. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's sad for me when I run into people who I know, who once were fervently serving the Lord, who no longer serve him fervently, if at all, who can't even identify where they're going to church. And I'm saying this to you again, I'm repeating myself. I'm not in a frame of mind at this stage of life to be chasing people around. This is how I look at it. Now, some of you here work, and you don't call in for work for three weeks in a row. And your boss finally makes a call. I haven't seen you in three weeks. Well, there's no love there. I mean, if you love me, you better call me when I missed the first day. Now, am I wrong when I say that adult people should be responsible enough to say, hey, boss, I can't make it in today, or whatever, or you expect the boss to be following you all around? I'm telling you, Jesus never did it, not even one time. Now, we know that God is merciful and gives second, third, fourth, fifth chances, but you never see Jesus follow up when someone said, I'm leaving. He didn't even say, well, wait a second, let me explain. Not even once. If you don't believe me, read it, because I read it in the book. So you say, well, you know, I don't like this church. Well, maybe we could fix it for you. <laughs> I was thinking about fooling with you just a little bit, sending out an email with some, you know, making it think it was serious, but then I thought better was not good to do. But I was going to say, there's no more rules in our church. You can do what you want. If you don't like the songs, like a jukebox, just put a buck up here, and we'll play something else. You like country western? We'll twang and twang, and I'm in love with my horse and all that stuff. Because it's all about you. It's all about you. You don't like the sermon? Mail me. Say, I want to hear a sermon about my self-esteem and the keto diet. Absolutely. Today we're going to talk about ketosis and how you can put your body into a fat burning. Come on, give yourself a hand because you're all great people. But then I thought better of it and I said, no, I don't think that would go over well. So just be able to say, good afternoon, my brothers and sisters in Christ of the Time for Truth Ministries. Tomorrow I'm going to be preaching on this subject, One Nation Without God. Uh, I think I'll keep it that way. Because, you know, and I got this not out of the Bible, believe it or not, but I got it from Popeye. I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. And I think that there are millions of Americans who do profess Christ who feel exactly the way I feel. I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. I don't give a hoot who you voted for. We better start pursuing righteousness at every level of our lives. Or we're going to sow, which we've already sown, the wind, and we're going to reap the whirlwind. You may not believe me if I tell you that I actually like to be liked by people. But not at the price of compromising my principles. Never. Ever. Never. Not going to happen. Your ambition should be this. You started well in the Lord. Finish well. Don't be one of those people who can't reach the finish line. You know, that's not good. According to the book, that's not good. Finish strong. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
Because these are the days, and I'm convinced of this, these are the days that the prophets and apostles spoke about, and of course our Lord Jesus Christ, I am convinced, as I tell you so, so frequently, I am convinced that we are seeing every sign in this book, minus just a couple that have to be fulfilled mainly in Israel, we're seeing them all come to pass right before our eyes, including the ones I just read to you. And when will we awaken to righteousness? Don't get woke. Awaken to righteousness. Serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And since, like I've told you before, since everybody's coming out of the closet, you might as well come out of the closet too. And say, uh, well, I'm a Christian. I used to actually physically pray in a closet when we lived here on the edge of town before we came into the parsonage. And we had one of those long walk-in closets. I used to go in there at night. My wife would be laying in the bed. And I said, I'm going to pray for her. And I would lock the door. And it occurred to me one day, as I was coming out of the closet, I just opened the door and I popped in. I said, it's time for Christians to come out of the closet. <laughs> it's great that you pray. Now take a stand where you work. Take a stand in public. I'm not advocating going on the social media so much as doing what I do. And you see what I do. I have a meme with a scripture verse, and that's it. Very little commentary except for my devotions, which I wrote. And I'm saying do it. It's easy to do. We need the social media flooded with the Bible, not just commentary. Flooded with memes and with Bible verses on it. And not a lot of comment. You saw my one I put the other day, some of you. Pray for America. That's all I said. Then let the scripture speak for itself. We need that. We need to make a stand publicly. We need to be known as that Christian. Oh, he goes to that church. Someone has said recently, and said it to my wife, of all people, I, her husband, has her brainwashed. Yeah. Oh, you have no idea. I have to write a book for you. <laughs> you have no idea what goes on behind the scenes, behind this cheery smile of the fights, not between me and my wife, but the fights that go on just to get here and to stay here. But you see, we as Christians are not brainwashed. I had no desire. It would be, take too much effort to be a cult leader. Too much thinking, trying to undo the lie with another lie and think about what lie did I tell after the second and third lies. I don't have any ambition to be anything other than a preacher and a man of God. That's it. And what I wanted to say is that we're not brainwashed. We just chose the one that we wanted to wash our brains. Amen. It's as simple as that. Christ has washed my brain and I don't care what anybody thinks about it other than you because you guys tithe. Well, some of you do. Oh, yeah. Go in the ministry and make tons of money. It's that much fun. And pays really well. And I'm not complaining about it. Believe me, God's always been good to me, and you guys have been good and faithful. But you notice that I don't talk much about money? Because I set out 30, well, 45 years ago to trust God and watch him supply the needs. But I didn't go in to make money. I didn't go in to manipulate you. I mean, I hope that you love me. I hope that you like me. I mean, you know, come on. I, I just hope that you do, but I don't care if you don't. It's just, it's just that simple. This is the Bible. I didn't write it. Here's the Bible, written by Raymond Michael Barnett. How dare he write about a place called hell? I didn't. Jesus did. And that's why he died on the cross. I didn't write that. Live a holy life. Well, you know what I think about? No, I don't want to know what you think about holiness. Give me a chapter and a verse. Sanctification, all these things. I submit to you today, on paper, we are one nation under God. Humor me for just a second. Humor me for just one second. I want you to recite the Pledge of Allegiance with me. We're just going to do part of it, all right? 
This is how I learned it. I don't know how you learned it. Hand was on the heart. Did you learn it that way? Yes. Now, let's do it the way we did it in grade school, the way we learned it. You can stand up if you want to stand up. This way I can tell my wife I had them standing during my preaching. <laughs> I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the United States of America and to the... Whoa, wait a minute, hold on. To the democracy. You're saying, oh, wait a minute. And to the republic? Well, let's get that straight. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Under God. One nation under God. Now they wanted to take that out, and now when you join the military, you no longer have to pledge any allegiance to God at all. The Marine Corps used to routinely give every single recruit, they didn't ask them, what's your, what's your background? We have a book for you. They gave out little Gideon's Bibles to every single recruit in the United States Marine Corps, and that's not done anymore either. I mean, you can get a Bible from the Marines, but they don't hand them out routinely anymore. And people want under God. They took the words away from Porky Pig. I mean, it's Porky Pig. <laughs> Dear Lord. The question I want to ask you now as I finish is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, I submit to you once again, as I have over the years, that America doesn't have a problem with the government. America has a problem with God. The church has a problem with God. The clergy has a problem with God. And we are reliving the things that we read about here in the Old Testament when ancient Israel departed from the faith of their founders, their fathers, Moses, and so forth. And God judged them and severely judged them. And there's no way in the world that we'll escape a similar judgment. I want to say this before I actually make my statement. I have nothing against Chinese people. Nothing. But the Chinese government is communist, and they are our perennial enemies along with Russia. And yet everything I turn over from literally narrow clippers, everything is made in China. I have nothing against the Chinese people. Nothing at all. But the government is out to conquer us. We'll become just like them in their slavery. Listen to this verse from Psalm 9, and verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. You know 2 Chronicles 7, 14. What shall we do if my people, that's you, that's churches all over the world, that actually belong to Jesus Christ. It says you, it starts with you. Turn, turn from what you know is wrong. Give God respect. Give God the respect that he deserves. I mean, it's a small thing, and I'm not advocating this as holiness or even a biblical thing, but I always shine my shoes before I come to church. And the backs as well, the heels, which nobody sees. Why? Because that's the way I show God some respect by the way I dress. And again, I'm not advocating this as a biblical principle. It's just my way of showing God respect. I'm punctual. I'm on time. Well, relatively on time. You give God your very, very best. Read 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. And then we have to recognize not only the problem that we have with God, we have to recognize the problem we have inside the church. Finney once wrote about excitement, that people are looking for excitement. You know, they come to church, they want something exciting. I frequently meet people who have been in three or four churches within the last year. But it's not excitement that we need, and it's not entertainment that we need. We need the word of God. And we need obedience, because to obey is better than sacrifice. I think it goes without saying that we need to pray for America. But not in the vague, you know, kind of just how God bless America, you know. But God cannot bless what he's cursed. And God says, if you do this, the blessing is not there. We need conviction with the prayers of God, please help us. 
God, help our nation. Help our churches. Help these preachers and so on and so forth. God, restore the family. Restore respect for children to honor their father and their mother instead of the things that we have now. I did not have a perfect father. I did not have a perfect mother. I'll just leave it with that. And like a lot of uh, kids my age, you weren't always hugged and told I love you. I don't know about your background, but that was mine. But I always knew that they did. So I didn't need it. I didn't grow up whining all the time. No one ever told me they loved me. I didn't need it because I knew by their behavior that they loved me. It's time that we turn, and this is in Malachi, by the way, turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers and the hearts of the fathers back to their children. And you and I must pray for it. We must pray for it. We must believe God for it. Beg for his assistance. Beg for his help. Father, we bless you today and we thank you. You've been good to us and we're just flesh. We're frail and we need you. We need your help in our government, in the halls of Congress. We need them in our marriages and in our families. We need them in our churches. We need you. I mean, really you. Help us, God. To see a third great awakening and spare us from what we deserve, all of us. Pour out your spirit. Help us, God, to once again be one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Help us once again, God, to have the motto on our coins and other places to be truth. We trust in God, the one true God. Help us. We need your help. We need your aid. We need your anointing. We need your strength. And we bless you, O God. We praise you. And Lord, lastly, today we need the word, we need prayer, but we need fellowship one with another, with true brethren. All over the world, we need this fellowship. And so I ask you today to bless the time that we have together. Bless the food, bless the discussions, and help us as one small branch in this very large vine of Christ to be truly in love with you and loving one another. Bless what we're about to say and do and eat, we ask today in Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me today? Amen. amen.